From the newsrooms of the City Morning Herald and The Age, this is Please Explain. I'm Chris Sapone. It's Tuesday, November 29th. A cache of leaked emails, relationships with vendors in Canberra, and a backbencher MP who arranged meetings between cabinet members and government contractors. While senior federal coalition MP Stuart Robert wasn't paid for these introductions or advice, the emails open a keyhole into the murky world of influence in Canberra. But this issue around Stuart Robert has not come out of the blue. Accusations of corruption, insider dealing, cozy relationships between MPs and lobbyists are rife in politics. So what does this all say about the integrity of our democratic political system? And where is the resolve for reform? Today, Chief Political Correspondent for the City Morning Herald and The Age, David Crow, joins us to discuss his reporting. David, let's start with Stuart Robert. What is it that we should know about this Liberal MP? Stuart Robert is a Queensland Liberal MP. Uh, He represents a seat on the Gold Coast. And to be quite blunt about it, he's always been in the news. He's a a colourful character because he's got immense number of connections in the business world. And he's got into hot water at times. There was a time where he accepted a Rolex watch from a, um, a wealthy Chinese investor That caused headlines, caused a scandal. There was a time when he flew to Beijing, when he was a minister, but on personal time, so he said. That also caused a scandal, and in fact, it led to him losing his position as a minister in early 2016, when Malcolm Turnbull was prime minister. So he spent some time on the backbench. He was only restored to the ministry in 2018, after Scott Morrison became Prime Minister after that leadership spill. He helped do the numbers for Scott Morrison during that time. So he's been sort of deeply engaged in the politics of the coalition in power over the last nine years with some ups and downs along the way and uh, a fair share of headlines about him. So basically, Stuart Robert is not an unknown entity in the world of politics. In the last few days, you've uncovered some new information about him that you've been reporting on. Can you talk to us about that? Well, thanks to uh, the work of Nick McKenzie, the investigations reporter at The Age and The Herald, there's a trove of emails that have emerged that shed light on the business operations of a company run by a friend of Stuart Robert. That company is called Synergy 360. It's owned by a couple of people. One of them is David Milo, a consultant in Canberra. Another one is John Margerison, an investor who's close with... Stuart Robert. In fact, they've held joint ownership of an investment company in the past. So what the emails show is regular interaction between Synergy 360 and David Milo and Stuart Robert while he's in parliament. Sometimes those emails have asked him to offer a view on how a company should prepare its pitch or in the words of one email from David Milo in quotes, position themselves with a pitch to a major government department. Now, bear in mind, Stuart Robert, as a former minister, would know what a department might like to see in a pitch. The emails also show things like closed-door committee briefing involving Stuart Robert. They show that David Milo arranged a meeting with Stuart Robert for Unisys, one computer company, for instance, to support and align on a Dutton meeting. That is a reference to Peter Dutton. At that time, a senior minister, even though Stuart Robert was on the backbench. Around the same time, David Milo and Unisys set up a lunch with Stuart Robert in the Parliament House dining room. So all these things were happening where there was influence in Parliament and Stuart Robert was helping, in this case, to communicate with Peter Dutton, not a natural ally, 
both on the same party, although Stuart Robb was clearly aligned with Scott Morrison, more so than Peter Dutton. But still, he could use his influence in the parliament to help set up things for his friend David Milo. But so far, there aren't any allegations of any crimes that have been committed by Stuart Robert. Is that correct? That's right. We're not alleging some wrongdoing here. We're looking at the way in which personal connections work in Canberra, because we all know that personal connections are a factor in building influence in Canberra, building contacts, perhaps helping people know what kind of deals they might be able to do with major government departments. Bear in mind, there's a lot of money at stake. There are major projects being developed, a lot of them on the IT side, where there's billions of dollars going into new systems. These are the systems that are the backbone of the federal government's operations. They decide how defence systems get built. They decide how our allowances or pensions get paid. Those computer systems are fundamental and there's a lot of money going into them and there's a lot of consulting work around them. So that's why we're looking at it. But to be clear, uh, Mr. Robert himself denies any wrongdoing based on the reports that have been published so far. Is that correct? Absolutely. When we uncovered the, this trove of leaked emails, I went to Stuart Robert and he said to me, I didn't help these companies. Yes, I'm a friend of these individuals, but I wasn't doing anything wrong. I totally deny any wrongdoing in my interactions with these individuals. Normally, and all politicians do, engage with meeting with stakeholders. I'm not paid for it. I don't get anything for it. Uh, I assist people. I wasn't responsible for anything. And I continue to meet with stakeholders as all MPs And do. so there's a total denial from him on using his position in Parliament to help these companies. He says he didn't help them. And also, a really fundamental point, a lot of these emails the emails that we've published, relate to his time as a backbencher. And I think that's that's an important point too. And he makes that point. He wasn't a minister using his influence as a minister to get an outcome for these companies. Wasn't a minister, had no responsibility, no authorities, uh, no procurement, nothing at all, simply a backbencher. So I wanted to actually ask about that. So why is it significant that he was a backbencher rather than a cabinet member when we talk about these these questions and and, uh, investigations into his relationships with various lobbyists? Well, it's often lost in the day-to-day politics, but there's a fundamental difference. If you're a backbencher... You're not part of the government. And for Stuart Robert, from 2016, February 2016, through to August 2018, he was a backbencher. And the rules are different. There is no code of conduct for a backbencher. When you're a minister, the prime minister sets a code of conduct. And if you break it, in theory, you can be sacked. When you're a backbencher, there's no such code. Nobody writes a code that tells you what you're allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do. It's something that a lot of people are uncomfortable with. There's an argument about whether backbenchers should be subject to a code that might guide things like lobbying. But the reality is that the only people who can decide that you get into parliament are the voters, and often the only people who can decide to turf you out are also the voters. So this sort of news event is not out of the blue. These sorts of claims or concerns about these relationships, about any perception that there's some sort of insider dealing or that relationships are too cozy between MPs and lobbyists, whether in cabinet or on the backbench, they're not new. So is there any movement afoot for some sort of comprehensive reform in this in this area? There's been talk about reform and in fact there's been attempts at it. And one of the big challenges in this field is how do you 
bring more transparency and oversight and integrity to a system that can be pretty murky. For instance, there's a lobbying code of conduct. There's a lobbyist register. So anybody who's lobbying to win deals in Canberra should, in theory, be on that register so they're disclosed, so people know what they're up to, what they're doing. That's part of everyday business for a lot of people in Canberra. But Synergy 360 says that it's not a lobbyist. It did not register. There's not really any transparency about what it does, who it is, because it's not registered in that way. So that's just one example of a grey area that, in a sense, shrouds Parliament House. There's a lot of things on the edges of Parliament House that are in a total grey area. And we rarely get an insight into how that grey area works. I think the emails are really valuable because they do shed more light on that grey area. But we have a dispute about whether David Milo and Synergy 360 should be registered. I've gone to the government, I've gone to the Attorney General's Department and the Attorney General Mark Dreyfus himself and asked, should this be looked at? And the only answer I've got so far is that they're considering this issue. And I don't think it's only an issue with Synergy 360. I've talked to people who can list to me companies that they think should be on the lobbyist register because they think they're lobbying, but they're not. So we do have, I think, more scope for more work to do on explaining to readers what's happening with the influence, the workings of the influence machine in Canberra. So it sounds like, as you say, there is this gray area where some of this activity is just not being captured by the rules that are in place. Mm. Do politicians that you speak to in Canberra, do they, do they understand how the public might see this as problematic? Yes, they do. Some would deny it. And in fact, the reactions vary. But believe me, we're only looking at this because we talk to politicians who know that there's something wrong with the system and something they're not comfortable with in the way some things are done. So that's something that people understand about the limitations of the current regime, lack of transparency and scope for breaches of integrity. There is clearly that scope. Of course, there are other people who deny that there's a problem and don't want to change the system. But I think that as we've seen with the argument over the National Anti-Corruption Commission, which will be legislated this week, these debates can take years before they lead to results. But it is a pretty complex system, and Labor is going further on transparency, and the crossbench is going further again. Where they all land is yet to be determined. So there's been a lot of talk in recent years about the viability and legitimacy of democracy. It seems like this sort of issue feeds right into that. So the perception that the public has about whether or not their elected representatives are representing them or are representing possibly lobbyists and other interests that are that are also present in Canberra. I mean, what do, what do you make of that? Do you, do you see this as central to the to the broader question about democracy and its future? Yeah, I think people want to have uh, trust in government. I think trust in government has been under strain. We did find that polling by the Scanlon Foundation, a reputable academic survey done every year for almost 20 years, found that trust in government went up during the pandemic. It's fallen back now. But I think when people felt that their political leaders were making the right decisions to protect the country during the pandemic, that level of trust rose. Now, it's always vulnerable, though, to uh, being weakened so that trust in the democracy falls when you get scandals and you get concerns about money in politics. 
So it's important, as the debate over the Anti-Corruption Commission shows, to take steps to make sure that you restore that trust and rebuild that trust. One other thing is that it's not always a struggle without results. There has been progress. Foreign donations used to be accepted in Australian politics. They were banned a couple of years ago. So you should not get foreign companies, foreign individuals buying influence in Australian politics with major donations to the political parties. We've found that parties have had to return money when they've found that it's come from a source overseas. So that's a big protection when you think about what emerged in the United States with Russian influence in their their electoral system. So there is progress on some fronts, but there should be further progress again. Well, David, thank you very much for your time and please explain. Thanks, Chris. Today's episode of Please Explain was produced by Julia Carr-Ketzel. Please Explain is a production of The Age and the City Morning Herald. If you enjoy the show and want more of our journalism, subscribe to our newspapers today. It's the best way to support what we do. Search The Age or smh.com.au forward slash subscribe. I'm Chris Sapone. This is Please Explain. Thanks for listening.